Oh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. My dear friend, friend uh, Red Griffin is here today. Red, wave at everybody, would you, over there, brother? There he is. He's up here hanging his head. I've grown to, to love this guy. He's kind of the grandpa of the football team. and uh, they, uh, they, all go, he get, they give him hassles, and he gives them hassles back. He doesn't take anything off any of them, but they all love him. I remember last year when he received a poster with all the seniors on it, and each of them had said something and signed something. Some of them were appropriate to share, and some weren't so appropriate to share. But each of them expressed their love for him. And so uh, what a, what a, he's retired, and so volunteers hours and hours and hours of his time. And uh, been invited him to church, and he came today, and so just so glad to see Red here today. Uh, with us and uh, Tanya and, and Yuri, it's glad to, I'm glad they're here. And uh, uh, Leah, it's good to see Stephen. Stephen, wave at everybody. Stand up, would you, Stephen? I want you to see a young man that's been really doing well right there. Been doing well. How long? How long, Stephen? Have you been clean and dry? 14 months he's been clean and dry. <clears throat> How's the new bicycle working out? New bicycle working out okay? Get you around, all right. He wanted Tommy's truck, but then let us have the bicycle and bring it back. But uh, nevertheless, that's praise the Lord. Stephen, we're so proud of you. Keep it up. Keep it up. And Leah's got the whole brood in today. That's great. Hallelujah. We're glad you're here. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's hold those up. I'm a child of God. Have in my hand. The powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. And here's our prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Give a high five, pound your neighbor, whatever you need to do. Get them excited in the Lord. Amen and amen. Brother Don, Brother Berlin, I think is Dory coming to help cook today too? Jeff usually here. So, oh, by the way, on the fish fry, someone asked me this morning, do we need to bring the potatoes and let them cook them, or should we cook them? You cook them. You bring everything ready to eat, okay? Because we won't have people here in time to cook all that stuff. So you bring your stuff ready to ready for us to put on the table and eat, and uh, the guys come and cook the fish fresh right out there. And uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's worth coming just to smell that fish cooking out there. Just kind of stand over on this side, and it'll, it'll blow to you. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jonah chapter 4 in those Bibles you held up. Uh, what would happen, what would happen in the church if God moved in a mighty way? What might happen in the church? I want you to say it out loud. I just want you to contemplate that for a moment. What would happen if God moved in this church in a mighty way? I want you to think about that for just a moment. The possibilities are limitless, aren't they? But you know what? Some people would rejoice and some would leave if God moved in this church. A mighty move of God. Some would rejoice. Some would say, I've had it. 
We're mistaken if we believe that all of God's people celebrate when God moves. And this chapter, this chapter demonstrates and shows in the life of this runaway preacher that very spirit and divided heart. You might even hear some of these people in church If God was moving, mighty movement of God, you would hear them complaining about the influx or the type of people coming to the church. They might sit back and believe that they had power at one time and all of a sudden they have none because who are these new people? Hundreds of them are showing up. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Accusations of a lack of authenticity. Ah, it's not real. They're just holding up carrots and dangling carrots. I know one preacher, he, he, he held up $150 and he said, for those of you that bring uh, 10 people a week for the next six weeks, this is your money. Is that fair? I know one preacher, he's got a, a sea do sitting up in front of the church. And they have to do something, jump through a bunch of hoops to be able to get that sea do. Is that okay? I know one preacher that gives away a Harley Davidson motorcycle every year. Yeah. They got to do certain things to get that. Is that okay? Is that okay? I'll tell you what I want to do. You bring one, and the man that wrote this book will pat you on the back. You bring one, and you get them to the cross, and you save them. And this book says that your life is going to be blessed. So I want to hang this up in front of you. I don't want to hang money. I don't want to hang sea-doos. I don't want to hang Harley-Davidson motorcycles. I want you to love Jesus enough and be so on fire about Jesus enough that you can't hold back the message of this book. That you've got to tell somebody. Old Bob Dylan sang that, didn't he? You've got to tell somebody. What Jesus did, what Jesus did for me. You've got to tell somebody. You've got to tell them. You've got to tell them. If you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you try to tell somebody? If you had the cure for alcoholism, wouldn't you try to tell somebody? If you had the cure for overeating, wouldn't you try to tell somebody? Start with me. Wouldn't you try to tell them? If If you're a fantasy football team owner and you know you're going to win today, wouldn't you try to tell somebody? As Brother Russell come in this morning telling us, he said, Pastor, I'm going to feel bad every Sunday. I said, why, Russell? He said, because I will beat everyone every Sunday. (laughs) Guess who he plays today? You don't take the holy man of God out on his day. But he will. He might. But you know, another another thing you might hear from people when a mighty move of God happens in the churches is there becomes concerns about changes that might affect their personal comfort level. You may show up at church and somebody's sitting in your place where you always sit. And so you stand there and stare at them, right? <clears throat> you cross your arms, you stand there and you stare at them until they get up and move. But, I mean, that's where you sit. Amen? What are you doing sitting there? I've been sitting there for 39 and a half years. Get up. In the love of Jesus, of course. Remember that one experiment I had with you? I, I, I asked you to encourage you the next Sunday to sit somewhere other than where you normally sit. 
And some of you were so uncomfortable. I remember you telling me that afterwards. You were going, that just didn't feel right. They're all the same. But it must be the location. I don't, I don't know. But we are. We're creatures of habit, are we not? And sometimes if movements of God happen, it gets us out of our personal comfort levels. Also, divisions between old and new members happen. People who've been around a while. This is their church. They own this church. There's only one man that owns this church. That one. He gave his life for it. Are you, are you with me now? You see how silly Satan is? And the divisions that he creates that it doesn't need to happen. But it happens when our hearts get divided. Jonah 4 pictures that. It's a reality of us. And, and, and we see ourselves in Jonah. Let's take a look. Just a couple of observations. In verses 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Jonah's objection. His complaint was of God's mercy revealed his, Jonah's, rebellious heart. Is that not us? Is that not us? Jonah calls this conversation a prayer. And it was in the sense, in that sense that he was speaking to God, I guess that you could say it was a prayer. But this was more of a complaint gripe session than the communion of kindred spirits. He was copping an attitude. He was mad. You ever been mad at God? Have you ever, well, no, preacher, I don't ever get mad at God. You should. Because there's times when he doesn't make sense. Any of you been there? You cry out to Him and it's as though there's nothing air. Just air. That's it. You go, God! And you wait for some response and nothing. Get mad at Him. He's big enough to handle it. Because you need to vent, don't you? We all do. And Jonah was so upset, but you really need to focus on what he was upset about. Look at verse 2. Look at the phrase, didn't I say? Didn't I say? He tried to correct God. You ever tried to do that when you were a kid, growing up with your parents? You try to correct them? You try to tell them what was the right way to go? And most of the time, your parents would go, Wow, I was so off base with that. You're correct. Every kid your age needs their own unlimited amount on a credit card. You're right. Oh, you are so right. Every kid your age has to have a new car to drive. 
Oh, you're so right. Is that how your house was? I, I tried that. So my car that I got to get and pay for myself with my money that I earned and worked for, no one gave me a dime for. No one helped me with gas on it. Nobody put windshield wipers and tires on it. Nobody put the new stereo and paid the money to put the stereo in my car. I got a 58 Chevy Impala. Sky blue, white stripe down the side, you know that big stripe down the side? $250. Boy, it was a hot machine. And you know why it was hot? Because somebody before me had put glass packs on it. And I could throw it down into low and hit the gas feed and it'd go, man, it was great. My gas gauge would go, pam, 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 like that. Of course, back then it was 28 cents a gallon, so you didn't really worry about that. But you know, we tend to gripe about God. Didn't I say? He corrected. God didn't listen. How, how worthless is God when He won't listen when we come and tell Him? Jonah lectured God when the Lord initially called him to go to preach to Nineveh. Jonah informed God of two things. Nineveh deserved judgment. And secondly, he, Jonah, was the wrong man for the job. (laughs) Jonah wanted God to conform to his wishes. Hitting home yet? (laughs) Why is it that we believe that we can convince God that he doesn't know What in heaven's name he's doing? Because we sure try. We try all the time. Again in verse 2, look at the phrase, I ran away. I ran away. Didn't I say? I ran away. When God refused Jonah's request, the prophet took matters into his own hands. Am I hitting home yet? Jonah decided to change God's plan. And the way he was going to change God's plan was refuse to participate. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he looked back at his disciples and he said, Be my, I'll say it one more time, be my, all of you, be my, one more, be my, when he ascended to heaven, he said, be my witness. How's that working for you? How are you doing with that? That's kind of what I thought too. Because if we're being the witness of God, this place could not stay empty. This place would have no empty seats. We would have people moving through the waters of baptism every week if we were being witnesses for Christ. Am I hitting your toes yet? Am I stomping on your feet yet? Am I beating you up okay? Good, because I am just laying under the ground. I'm under the bus myself. I want to drag some of you under here with me. Because God threw me under the bus as soon as I started reading this chapter. He decided I'm going to change your plan, God, because I won't participate. I'll take my ball and go home. Mm. After all, the Assyrians are dirty people. You don't expect me to talk to them, God. 
You mean I got to go over to 71st and Mingo and talk to people who might attend Union High School? Mm, mm, mm. Broken Arrow. Man, they must be the team to beat. Union, they ain't got nothing. And Friday night when the Goliaths show up, ooh, and our little bitty Jinx boys will be out there. I'll bet you the players this week when Coach Bryant gets hold of them, tells his cornerbacks, you're going to have to cover three guys that are over six foot three. I know all of you are just 5'10". Tallest one, 5'11 and a half if we're stretching. But you've got to cover a guy six foot four. And he runs faster than you do. But that's okay. You can do it. Don't you know they're going to go, that's right. I'm taking them down. That's why, make sure you check on Brian. Pray for him this week. We don't want him to cut his throat. We don't want him to slit his ribs. A formidable foe. When David stood before Goliath, Goliath laughed at him. And then he let go of that rock. And Goliath said, whoa, nothing like that's ever entered my mind before. (laughs) Look again at verse 2. I ran away. I knew. Jonah was mad because he knew God was always good. He knew that God is merciful to the guilty. He knew that God is compassionate on weak humanity. He knew that God is slow to become angry even in the face of grievous sins. He knew that God is rich in faithful love on those who are unlovely. He knew that God is willing to relent from sending judgment on those who repent. You won't go to hell if you repent of your sins. Ooh, ooh, that was a big amen moment there, folks. You won't go to hell if you repent of your sins. All right. Hallelujah. Then look in verse 3. Look in verse 3. Just kill me now, he says. Jonah valued his reputation more than God's. Jonah, this prophet, petitioned God to take his life because he felt he lost his credibility with the Jews by preaching to their enemy. To Jonah, his reputation was more important than the compassion on those that are perishing in their... That's why we don't bring people to Christ. Ooh, I'm going to get you right here. I'm going to get you right here. So I'm, I'm going to tell you now so you can plug your ears. <laughs> That's what Cindy does when I say, honey, this bill came in. She didn't want to deal with it. I said, baby, where did you buy it? She didn't want to hear it. And Mark don't want to call me and tell me, Dad, I always hate that voice. I know the voice on the other end. Dad, I'm gonna, I, need, I need some money, Dad. I, I love it. I love to watch his, his checking account. I can see his checking account. I like to watch it just keep dwindling down. Just dwindling down. I said, son, you going to get a job? Oh, I'm working on it, Dad. Oh, man. He's in Dallas, Texas. You can flip burgers for seven and a half an hour. Come on. I'm working on it. I'm, I guess I'm going to have to drive down there and show him. Better yet, send his mama down there. Amen. She'll get all over him, won't she? Amen. That little bulldog will send her down there. Yeah, boy, I would have I'll look at that bank account and see his is increasing, mine is decreased. Glory to God. Just kill me now. Someone might argue here, but eventually Jonah did what God wanted him to. 
Yeah, he repented. He submitted to God in, in, in the belly of that fish. But pride and prejudice are like all sins of the flesh. When we return them and return to them, they become inflamed in us again, don't they? Oh boy, it is hard for me. We had our first game last Friday night. And after the game, the Booster Club feeds the coaches and the team. And they had this, I mean to tell you, and I'm not a big McDonald's hamburger fan, but at 10.30 at night, those hamburgers looked really, really good. And there wasn't just one or two of them. I mean, it was like a, a buffet of hamburgers. They had this humongous, about this long, cooler, about that deep, with a lid open, and those things were just stacked up in there. I was going, yeah. Oh, I'll just throw the bread away and just eat the rest of it. Well, yeah, but if you've got 48 of them sitting on your table, that's not going to do you much good. You know, because we get drawn in to some of the old way, don't we? And boy, it's easy to run back. And that's Jonah. We've got to guard it ourselves against returning to that pig pen and wallowing in the mire of the mud. Jonah's complaint against God's goodness reveals his misplaced, ungodly, and deep-seated values. Second observation I want to take out of chapter 4 is God brings an object lesson to me. Pick up at verse 4 with me. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So he set out to watch God destroy the city. Or not. And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Verse 7. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on, Je on Je uh, Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. He said, death is certainly better than living like this. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Jonah's answer, yes, even angry enough to die. You ever met a hardened criminal? You hear about their brutal acts, the murders that they conclude, and you, and you conclude that they are cold-hearted murderers, killers. Then the person's mother or neighbor will testify of this criminal as being such a good father, a gentle person. How can a person demonstrate such radical personalities? I'm telling you, it's that divided heart. In August of 2007, a mass murderer was caught, apprehended in the north, uh, Northwest. The person most deceived was his current wife. She had no idea that her gentle husband, as she described him, had brutally murdered a number of women. While jo Jonah wasn't an axe murderer, he certainly had a divided heart. On the one hand, he was God's spokesman. But on the other hand, he was full of hatred and contempt. And God knew it. So God used a plant to show Jonah his own heart. And as we read of this plant, we're reminded again and again 
of God's sovereign rule over nature. Notice the word appointed in chapter 4. In chapter 1, verse 4, we find that word appointed, excuse me. God also appointed the winds in in chapter 1 and verse 17. He appointed the wind and the waves to shake Jonah. And then chapter 2 and verse 10, God appointed a great fish to carry Jonah back to Nineveh. But in in our story in chapter 4, I want you to notice a few aspects. Five to be exactly. Number one is the weight. Look at verse 5. Jonah hopes God will change his mind. The 40 days of which he had spoken probably had not, not yet expired. He was waiting to see if God was going to judge them despite their repentance. So he sat on the hill. He was watching. He thought, yeah, God won't, they, they won't repent. And I'm just going to watch God destroy them. This will be interesting. Here we go. But then we see in verse 6, the weed. God used a plant to confront and comfort this fuming, angry prophet. In verse 7, we see the worm. God intentionally destroyed Jonah's comfort zone. In verse 8, we see the wind. Not only was the plant gone, but now a scorching wind comes to disturb Jonah. You ever had a scorching wind hit you? You live in Oklahoma. All you got to do in the middle of the summer when it's 105 degrees is stand outside and pray for wind. But then sometimes that wind will blow when it's 105 degrees and you're going, hello, hello. I just stepped into the fiery furnace. Where's my buddy Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? (laughs) And then look what happened in verse 9. The word. God asked Jonah a penetrating question. Do you have a right to be mad about the death of a plant? And what does your Bible say that Jonah's answer to God was? What's your Bible say? Or yes. Yes, I have a reason to be mad. Yes, I have... Uh, I can declare that I am mad. I have a right. I have a right. What right do you have? Christian, let me ask you, what right do you have? What right do I have? What right do I have to boast about anything? I never climbed on the cross for you. In fact, if it would have been up to me to die for you, forget it. If I had the if I had the command of ten thousand angels at my spoken word, that's all he had to do. And you know, there's a great illustration if you think of it visually. You've got ten thousand angels standing on the rim of heaven with their hands on the sheath of their sword, like this, waiting for him to go. They were waiting, and had he called them, they would have pulled the sword and they would have wiped out everybody. 10,000 angels. Woo! Woo! But you know what? He never called, did he? He never called. He led us. He led us beating. He led us spit on him. He led us put a crown of thorns on his head. He led us put a purple robe on his back after we had whipped him 39 times. He let us make fun of Him. He let us mock Him. He let us throw dirt in His face. He let us nail Him to a cross. 
He let us lift Him up on that cross. He let that, he let us let that cross fall into that hole of holding. And then He let us make fun of Him while He hung there dying in the middle of the day. And then He let us strip Him of His clothes just a little to cover His, his lower parts. And you might say, well, preacher, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, we did. Because our sins put Him on the cross. He died on that cross the very day to cover the sins that you've committed from the time you were born till the time you'll die. He's already covered it. So, we have a right. But what right did He have, did Jonah have? He didn't produce the plant. He did nothing to grow the plant. He did nothing to save the plant. It wasn't Jonah's plant. It was God's plant. And the sooner we understand that everything that you and I have, even our very life, is not ours, it's God's. And when you decide to give it to God, guess what? Whoo! Great things are going to happen. Because it's not yours to start with. Give it to Him. Give it to Him. So why does God ask Him this? God asked Jonah... And he asked Jonah to show him how misplaced his values are. Two things in closing. Jonah cared more about his personal comfort than for the people of Nineveh. And Jonah cared more about the plant, the vine, than for the people of Nineveh. He had a divided heart. Judson Mather wrote in his book commentary about this story. Life for Jonah is a series of disconcerting surprises and frustrations. He tries to escape from God and is trapped. He then gives up, accepts accepts the inevitability of perishing, and is saved. He obeys when given a second chance and is frustratingly, embarrassingly successful. And so he blows up. His frustration intensified. The third... The third thing I want you to observe from this chapter is God's objective. His forgiveness reveals His loving heart. Pick up at verse 10. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. Verse 11, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? What matters to God? People. People matter to God. So I guess the question of the hour is, do people matter to you? Should our church grow in number? Absolutely. But it will never grow in number unless you and I get involved in the ministry that God's called us to, and that's to seek and to save the lost. God corrects Jonah's lack of compassion. God clarifies his love and compassion. And the book ends abruptly with a question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Father, we ask you this morning to help us to understand how important it is that we love people. God, I I just believe we have one of the nicest church churches in Jinx. I I think we have the nicest people that come here. We have some wonderful folks. And Father, we need more. 
But you've called us to be your spokesman. You've called us to be your eyes and ears and mouths and feet and hands and arms. You've called us to be the body of Christ that loves people unconditionally the way you love us. So God, could you find in each of our hearts a reservoir ready to overflow out of an attitude of gratitude because you have saved us. And we can't contain it. And we're going to bring people because we want them to experience the same thing. Oh God, would you move among us today? Would you breathe a fresh wind of your spirit in each heart that's here today? And would it be evident? Would it be evident? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn of invitation. Come if God's laying on your